you're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want you to turn with me to Judges chapter 13. I promise this is the last time I'll read this. Uh, this will be the third week in a row, but hey, it's never bad to read God's Word. And while you're turning there, I want, you, I want to tell you a little bit about hummingbirds. All right. Now, listen, I think I've officially punched my old person card because I took my wife to Branson this Friday to see the musical uh, or the pre- the broad the production known as Esther. And it was incredible. Uh, I'm, I'm not just by nature a play kind of guy. Uh, I'm more of a deer stand boat kind of guy. But I, this thing was so worshipful, I, I cried a couple times at it. But we were up there with, with all those senior adults, and I felt at home. And um, y'all are looking younger to me every day. All right. Uh, but now here I am talking about hummingbirds. And what senior adult doesn't have a hummingbird feeder in their backyard? I've got two. Right, Steve? How many do you got? <laughs> Three. But listen, hummingbirds are amazing. I am fascinated by them. I think they could single-handedly disprove evolution. All right. But they consume twice their body weight. By the way, a group of hummingbirds is called a charm. And they are charming little creatures, right? And by the way, can you imagine consuming your own body weight, burning that amount of weight in a day? And some of y'all, that would take a lot. All right. I'm not going to, I'm not pointing, I'm not pointing fingers, but listen, dietitians say that one uh, pound equals 3,500 calories. Like to burn a pound, you got to burn, you got to burn off 3,500 calories. So that would be a 150 pound person burning over half a million calories a day to match a hummingbird's activeness. It's unbelievable to me. They visit over a thousand flowers a day. Their brain is proportionally the largest of all wild birds. They can survive freezing cold temperatures by lowering their heart rates up to 95%, like going into hibernation. They take 150 breaths a minute and their heart beats over 1,250 times in a minute more than 12 times the human average. Their wings flap at 80 times, 80 times a second. That's why they sound like they're humming, hence their nickname, Hummers. No wonder they consume so much nectar. They have the least amount of feathers of any bird in the world, and in proportion to their size, they migrate further than any bird of any species. So what in the world does an ornithology uh, discussion have to do with theophanies, Christophanies, appearances of God, physical appearances of God in the Old Testament. I'll tell you why. Because visibility doesn't always equal viability. Their wings, the wings of a hummingbird, seem invisible. Even up close, you can sit right out your kitchen window and they, you can't even hardly see their wings, but they're just sitting there hovering. Their appearances are overall extremely short but purposeful. Their activity seems unmatched, right? But make no mistake, they're always at work. Even while they look frozen in the air, their their wings are beating 80 times a second. And church, this is a beautiful picture of the creator God who made them. 
He may be the only rival to their activity. He is always at work to bring his own glory, glory to his own name and salvation to the ends of the earth. And on occasion, he shows up in the flesh to remind us that he has a plan to be with us forever. And like a hummer, as it hovers over a flower, it seems perfectly still, but its heart is beating at a level and a pace that we cannot fathom. Theophanies and Christophanies demonstrate the seemingly sporadic, still, but active heart of God toward us. The invisible God is active and wants to be with us physically, visibly, and inseparably. So we come to the last two theophanies in Judges chapter 13, and this is part three, and the final theophany that we'll, we'll recover. It's not exhaustive, but we're gonna stop here and move into a different series. I hope this next Sunday to start a series uh, on uh, deep fakes. Deep fakes. Y'all know with AI coming out, uh, we got a lot of deep fakes. But these deep fakes are in scripture, people who seem to be followers of Christ, but, uh, but aren't actually. So I want us to read this again, Judges chapter 13. These are the words of God, more important than anything I'll say about it. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, which by the way, was a very wicked group. If you read on through the book of Judges, they turn up again and they're not good. But this guy was, his name was Manoah and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, behold, you're barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I didn't ask him where he was from and he didn't tell me his name, but he said to me, behold, you'll conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to teach uh, to us and teach us what we're to do with the child who'll be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So she ran quickly and told her husband, behold, the man uh, who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat anything uh, unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I will not eat of your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah didn't know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what's your name so that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? 
seeing it's wonderful. This is in, that, that phrase is in other theophanies as well. Verse 19, so Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching and they fell on their faces to the ground. What a beautiful picture of worship when we sing praises to God. I just picture the spirit of the Lord inhabiting our praises. Verse 21, the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering in our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir uh, him in Mahanadim uh, between Zorah and Eshtaol. May God bless the reading of his word. I want to ask John Manning to come and ask the Lord's blessings on our service today. John and Jennifer are newer members of our church. Good morning. Thank yeah. you. Good morning, Lord, and thank you for this day. And thank you very much for just providing for us, Lord. We, we've all gotten here, Lord, to learn about you. And Father, if there's anything in our troubles in our heart, help us uh, put them aside, help us hear your voice, knowing that we can give them to you. And if there is somebody out there, Lord, that's struggling with the decision to accept you or not, Lord, make it clear to them that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, we love you and, and again, invite you here to, to uh, be with us during this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. Well, God's plans and God's hands uh, may seem invisible to us sometimes, but he has come to be seen. Make no mistake, we will behold him again. And uh, describing God in 1 Timothy 6.16, Paul says, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So why am I sharing with you that verse? Because this same holy and unapproachable God has been making himself known since the beginning of creation. Nearly 30 years ago, uh, John MacArthur said, in heaven, since we will be free from sin, we will see God's glory unveiled in all its fullness. That will be a more pleasing, spectacular sight than anything we've, we've ever known or could imagine on earth. No mere earthly pleasure can even begin to measure up to the privilege and ecstasy of an unhindered view of the divine glory. Matthew 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And one day our hearts will cast off this old flesh and we will, we will be made pure. Psalm 17 verse 15 says, I shall behold your face, David says, in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. We're going to be like him. We are like him, but we're going to be more like him, purified in every way in heaven. And church on the authority of God's word and by the Holy Spirit that lives in me, I'm telling you these words are true. Every person in this room, every person hearing these words today, God's words, every one of us, we will see Jesus. He's been showing up since creation, and that's the purpose. That's the main overarching purpose of this study on theophanies. God's proving that he ain't stopping. He's been showing up, and he's going to show up. And the next time he shows up, it's forever. 
And so we need to be ready. On earth, of course, his, his theophanies culminated in his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. But in heaven, these sinful fleshly rags will be cast off and we will be with him forever. We will see Christ. But we have to digress. <laughs> so we go back a couple of weeks ago just by way of review. We looked in Judges at the story of Samson at a sinful spiral. I want to show you this image one more time. We men are a little more visual learners, so I want, to, want you to see this. Twelve periods of Judges. Each one of these, cycles, uh, these periods had seven cycles. All right? There was prosperity. Then there was idolatry. Then God would send someone to oppress them to, to really uh, clean them up. To, to heat up the silver, to, to skim off that dross. And then they would cry out to God. He would send a judge to deliver them and they would have a time of victory and peace, cycle after cycle, culminating in the final earthly judge, the mighty Samson. Then last week we saw the dangers and poor reasoning uh, from a silent treatment. Remember in all the previous cycles of judges, the people would cry out when they were oppressed, but not in Judges 13.1. Uh, here they gave God the silent treatment. And we saw three possibilities of, of three reasons why they may have done this. One was because they mistook God's rebuke as final. And I warned you last week, don't ever fall into the trap of thinking God is done with you. I want everyone in this room to go do this. Take a breath. If you can do that, God ain't done with you. All right, you're alive and he's not done with you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your sin is. You are wicked. I'm wicked. And that's why the grace of God gets all the glory in our lives because he's come to save sinful man. Don't mistake his rebuke as final. Number two, they knew God was wise to false repentance. Friend, remorse is not repentance. <laughs> Feeling bad because you're in a, a state of despair is not the same as knowing that some of your sin helped get you there and being repentant of that. Repentance is crying out to God for forgiveness and using biblical methods to overcome sin in the future. When our hearts grow calloused, our knees should too in prayer <laughs> to God, uh, crying out for a soft heart. Third, maybe they had a deluded heart. When we go silent, our worship goes dumb, all right? And we talked about this from Isaiah 44:20. We talked about how dumb it is to take a log, cut it in half, use some of it to cook our food and use the other half to build us an idol. And we say, well, we're not idolaters today. Oh, but aren't we? Men in their toys, right? Nail salons and massages and second and third and fourth houses and cars. And we got our idols made by man and we worship them. We, we worship them because of our prioritizing. I mean, even football, by the way, there were some good games yesterday, but even football can, can become a guide. All right. And so we can have a deluded heart. Isaiah 44, 20 says he feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray and he can't save himself. God's people come to a place where they literally couldn't, they, they couldn't even cry out for deliverance. Right. So think of those seven uh, cycles, those seven elements in those cycles that you saw on that image. By the time we reach Samson, they'd, they'd all started to crumble. Right? Uh, back in Judges 6 through 9, in the story of Gideon, all the seven elements were there. But then as we move towards Samson, they begin to break down. We see elements missing, like references to the Lord raising up a deliverer or the peace and protection that followed. Then, of course, Judges 13 and the Samson account, they, they stopped crying out to God. And that's the backdrop of these final two theophanies. 
That's the moment God entered this story twice in physical form. And so that leads to our last point today, which is a seen savior. Twice in this story, God is literally seen. And so the context is important because it's a literal account of Romans 5.8. Long before Paul was ever inspired to write Romans 5.8, we have it happening on earth. Romans 5.8 says what? God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were yet sinning. Christ died for us. In the middle of all that, he came anyway. <laughs> he knew it and he came anyway. And so as the seven cycles disintegrate before our eyes, something and someone much better is about to appear. Someone better than the Samson. All right. And God is relentless in displaying his grace despite our sin. And this is a beautiful example of that. So today I want to give you three pillars of hope seen in these final two appearances of God. Three pillars of hope. First, what we ask. The first pillar is what we ask. Judges 13 verse 8 is a beautiful verse. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom, you're, whom you sent come again and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. Now listen, I do not want in any point in this story to, for you to think that Manoah is, uh, is the hero. He is not the hero, right? To be clear, he and his wife already knew what the instructions were to be. God told them. All God does when he shows back up for the second theophany is tell them the same thing he told them the first time. They got no new information. Now, they answered his prayer and came back, but it wasn't new information. And by the way, some of us as Christians are always looking for that new information when it's right there in God's word. We just want something new, something different. You know, I have a lot of people come to me with various sins in their lives and they're not asking for my help. They're not asking for my advice. What they're really secretly asking for is my affirmation of their sin. They want someone to stamp their vote of approval on it. And y'all have seen this. You've given advice to your kids and other loved ones before, and they go running to the next. They're just searching for the counselor that'll tell them what they want to hear. And the scripture even talks about that, right? But regardless of his motives, of Manoah's motives, he did, I believe, want clarity. And so again, we see this in verse 12. And Manoah said, what is to be the child's manner of life? What's his mission? And I believe, despite Manoah's motives and sin, I believe he wanted to know. I believe he's asking God, what do I do? What's my part in this? What's his manner of life? What's his purpose going to be? I believe Manoah wanted clarity on what he needed to do. And, uh, and we need, and I believe he wanted to know so he could be prepared. <laughs> of course, he had nine months to prepare his mind and his heart for what was coming. And I believe he was crying out to God asking good questions. Back in 1915, Lord Joseph Duveen, American head of uh, an art firm named after himself, uh, planned to send one of his experts to England to check out some uh, ancient piece of pottery. But this is during war. And so he, he, he booked passage on the RMS Lusitania. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, we got a picture of it here. The Lusitania. Well, after buying the ticket, uh, the German embassy during war issued a warning that the liner might be torpedoed. And so Devine, you know, wanted to call off the trip. 
Uh, he told his art expert, hey, look, I can't take the risk of you being killed. But the, listen to what the young man said. He said, don't worry, I'm a strong swimmer. And when I read what was happening uh, in the Atlantic, meaning the wars and the bombings, torpedoes, I began hardening myself by spending time every day in a tub of ice water. At first I could sit only a few minutes, but this morning I stayed in that tub nearly two hours. Well, naturally, you know, Devine laughed at him like, are you crazy? You know, who prepares for a cruise to England by sitting in tubs of ice water? But he had gotten that information, right? So, the, of course, y'all know the story by now. The next picture here, the Lusitania was, tor was torpedoed. And that young art expert who had prepared himself was rescued after nearly five hours in the bitter ocean. Still in excellent condition. His conditioning began with information. When he read what was happening, he began preparation. And Manoah, I believe, seems ripe with spiritual curiosity. And I just want to ask you, church, do you have that? Do you have a ripe spiritual curiosity, a hunger for the word of God, a hunger to know the God who loves you more than anyone in your life? Do you have a hunger to know him, to read his word, to consume his word, to come and be, and be fed? Not just in small groups at 9.30, not just at 10.30, but in other Bible studies, in quiet times, in Wednesday night prayer meetings at, at 6.30. Do you have that hunger? Uh, by the way, I have a lot of people in this church, uh, several of you, uh, that come up to me after the service, that text me. Uh, I even have college students that, aren't even, that are already off to college that text me Bible questions. And I, and I don't say that as if I'm prideful to, to think that I'm the one that gives the answers. God's word gives the answers. But they sometimes think they're bothering me to ask me these questions. Some will, they'll send them to me as, you know, late at night and early in the morning. I don't. That's, it's actually an encouragement to me. Not because you're asking me, but because you're asking your, your hunger for the word of God is to know more, uh, to, to, you know, prompted God, you know, the Holy Spirit's prompting you to ask these questions about God's word. There was a, a Spanish, a famous Spanish novelist of the 1500s called Miguel de Cervantes. And he said, to be prepared is half the victory. And, and in other words, we need to consume God's word. Great performance is a result of great preparation. And any business or team or individual uh, that's maximizing their potential is also mastering their preparation. And so we need to master our preparation. Manoah wanted to know more. He doesn't appear to be the sharpest tool in the shed, <laughs> but he wasn't scared to ask God uh, to send this heavenly guest back, right? And when that guest returned, he was ready. He had his questions ready. Do we have a teachable spirit? Do we have a hungry to learn a hunger to learn God's word more? And do we pay attention to the details? Right? Looking ahead for God's final rescue. Right? That's one way to demonstrate a hopeful heart. Right? What we know matters, and the spiritual hunger to ask is almost as important as the biblical answer we get in return. Well, what we ask is first. Second, the second pillar is what we expect. All right, what we expect. Judges 13, verse 12. And Manoah said, I love these verses. Now, when your words come true. Verse 17, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that when 
your words come true. We may honor you. Now again, Manoah is not the hero of the story. Matter of fact, Samson isn't either. By the way, I don't even have time to talk about how wicked Samson was. He broke every one of the Nazarite vows. He was, he was all he wanted to, he didn't want to defeat Philist, the Philistines. All he wanted to do was shack up with their women. I mean, that's the truth. That's mighty, wonderful hero Samson. But he's a picture of us, isn't he? He's a picture of, of us if we just turn our back on God. But listen, here's what I love. Manoah, by saying when, when you do this, he demonstrated such a high expectation. I'll never forget, and I may have told you this story before, uh, another sign of old age. But there's a guy named Tom Rush. So when I, Vicki and I served for almost 10 years over in Virginia, and uh, there was a guy there who was the son of a full bird colonel, and his name was Tom Rush, and he taught the seventh grade uh, students uh, in Sunday school. And we went on a mission trip, two different mission trips to, to help with Katrina relief down in Gulfport, Mississippi. Uh, First Baptist Church used to be located right on the beach in Gulfport, Mississippi. And so we went and stayed in FEMA trailers with just our middle schoolers. All right. And we uh, we would do backyard Bible clubs and then we would help clean up yards and stuff like that. But at the end of the week, that uh, Friday or Saturday, kind of to wind down the week, we were going to play the college students. These middle schoolers were going to play these college students from First Baptist Gulfport. They played every week ultimate Frisbee. All right. On the beach. So we were going to play them. So we go down there to the beach. And uh, we're all getting lined up there. And so no one's doing anything. So I get up there and I'm starting to pick teams. I'm going to, you know, mix the middle schoolers in with the college students so it'll be even. Tom Rush said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm dividing up the teams. He said, no, you're not. He said, it's us against them. This is for pride. And I was like, well, your pride's about to get stepped on. But okay, fine, if you want to do that. He was so confident. I, lo I looked at him like, I mean, he just knew. He just knew. And y'all, what I'm about to tell you, it looked like the Jets beating the Bills last Monday night. I mean, it was SEC domination, right? It was unbelievable. Those middle schoolers took those college students to lunch. I mean, and they spanked them all over that. I mean, I loved it. I mean, I don't, y'all don't like competition. Y'all don't get into any of that. But for those, I mean, I was like, hoorah, you know? There's no Marines in here. Okay, anyway, but I was pumped, and I will never forget Tom Rush in his just, he, he was just unflinching in his expectation of what he knew those middle schoolers could do. By the way, I thought our, I was out of town yesterday with Vicki for her uh, 30th birthday party, <laughs> and uh, she turned 30 on a, uh, I don't normally lie from the pulpit, but this will be this one time. Because <laughs> y'all all know she's 29. All right. But we went to uh, Branson. And, but anyway, I digress. But I, was, I coached uh, Isaiah's soccer team, and there was this one team in the league I had watched score. Like, they scored 10 to 1 against the team, uh, the, you know, the other team they played before we got up to play a different team. And, I, and so we were scheduled to play that team this week. I was secretly glad I was out of town because I thought we were going to get crushed. And we lost by one, but I was, that, that was a victory to me, you know. And so the expectation, it, it's, it's, it's kind of sad. The, the very least that we could think of our God, the very least is that he, he would win. 
right? Don't we have an expectation that his words are going to come true? I want to know his power so clearly and undeniably that I only expect it to happen. I'm not asking if, I'm preparing for when. Right? That's what Christians are doing. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the media says. I know. I know when it's going to happen. I don't know when, but I know it is. It's not if, it's when. And so I want to be prepared. Expectation is tied to good preparation. And church, many of us are preparing as if God's words aren't going to happen. As the end draws near. We talk about the end drawing near. We see the signs of our times, but are we preparing for it? If we expect it, then we have hope in the very every appearance of God. Three pillars of hope in the God who chooses to be seen. What we ask, teach us, Lord, teach us, show us what to do and how to do it. What we expect, Manoah said, when your words come true, when your words come true. And third, what we observe. Judges 13, verse 6, when the woman came and told her husband, then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. Verse 18, and the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat and the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching by the way, every time it said, when it says to the Lord, to the one who works wonders, the word of God is inspired by God. And he's not bragging to say he works wonders. He doesn't need to brag. He's God, right? He's reminding us that he works wonders. And Manoah and his wife, twice it says this, Manoah and his wife were watching. Verse 20, and when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching and they fell on their faces to the ground. And listen, when, when God repeats stuff in his word, it's for emphasis. It's for, it has a purpose. And it begs the question, not just do we worship the Lord, not just do we offer our, our tithes, talents, and uh, time to God, but are we watching to see if he accepts our offering. Do we even care? I th Listen, offerings have been getting people in trouble since the Garden of Eden, since, since Cain and Abel. Cain didn't care what he offered to the Lord, and I think that was the heart of, of why uh, he killed Abel. He wasn't paying attention to what God's rules were regarding the offering. Do we care if it's pleasing to God? Are we a people that observe his wondrous works and say, he is very awesome. Well, I, I want to like pause here and shift away, not away from this story, but I want to tie a bow on all of these theophanies. I believe in the story of Samson, there's three things that kind of categorize in this story leading up to Samson, all of the theophanies that we've seen. These are kind of common denominators to kind of wrap up our time in these in the study, right? These are three common denominators of every appearance of God. First, Manoah and his wife were demonstrating the state of God's people when he came. 
Everyone in the story, in all of these stories, are demonstrating. Listen, did you know Numbers chapter 6 tells all about Levite vows? And by the way, it wasn't a, just a Levite vow to, to eat no unclean thing. Three times it says in there, don't eat anything unclean. All of Israel wasn't supposed to eat non-kosher food. So why is God having to remind Manoah's wife three times, don't eat unclean food? Why? Because they had been in the land of Canaan, living among these Canaanites so long, they had lost their spiritual moorings. They had grown distant from the basic words of God, the basic laws of God. Do you feel like that? You feel like you're living in a nation who has lost the, the moorings to the basic commands of God? I mean, it was in my lifetime that prayer was stopped in schools, that the Ten Commandments were taken off the walls of legal courtrooms. Right? We're living in it, folks. And I'm telling you, we need it's a it's a picture. Right? And by the way, we don't see Manoah build an altar like Abraham and Jacob did in those theophanies. When he they saw God, they knew this was the big deal. And they built altars to the Lord, not here. So that's number one. Whenever God shows up, the people he shows up to are actually representatives of the sinfulness of the whole people. Number two. Manoah and his wife, praise God, though they're sinful, they were increasing in their understanding of God. Every time God shows up, he's teaching us something about himself. Every time. Judges chapter 13, verse 6, look at this trend. Manoah's wife calls him a man of God. Then verse 8, a man, Manoah calls him a, a man of God. Verse 18, they call him wonderful. Verse 21, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord, a.k.a. messenger of God. And then verse 22, Manoah said to his wife, we have seen God. And by the way, Manoah's wife, who actually helped goofy Manoah understand that he wasn't there to kill him. So they're growing in their knowledge of God. You're actually maturing when you understand that God's not here to kill you. He's not fashioned hell for you. He's actually fashioned it for the devil and his demons, but he will send you there if you don't call on his name. But he's here to fashion you in his likeness, to make you more like him and to prepare you for an eternity in heaven with him. Well, third. So first, <laughs> they represented the sinfulness of man, Romans 5, 8, while we were yes sinners. And number two, they were growing in their knowledge of God through every appearance. And that happened with Abraham and that happened with Jacob and that happened with Moses. Every time they met with God, they became, they came closer to God. And number three, Manoah, his wife, and Samson himself all take a back seat to God in this, in this story. Every time a theophany happens, it's not about Gideon. It's not about Moses. It's not about Abraham. It's about God. The real highlight in Judges 13 is how the Lord God provided someone, anyone, to deliver God's people from the Philistines. The highlight of the human characters in every one of these theophanies. You know what the highlight of the human characters are? Their wickedness. The highlight of the human characters in every theophany is just how sinful and undeserving they are. That's their purpose for being in the story. It was God who made a barren woman 
the conduit of Israel's deliverance. It was God, which we saw last week, who shows up despite Israel's lackluster desire to even be delivered. It was God himself who wrote the prescription for what Manoah and his wife were to do with their son in order for him to be the deliverer. And who but God, the Lord God himself, fulfilled his own promise the moment Samson was born? And who began to stir in Samson when he was still a child? The Lord himself. All my life, all my life, I have seen Samson as the bad dude hero. Man, Samson. It's not Samson who's the hero of the story. <laughs> Samson's the utter failure of the story. By the way, David was too. They say when he sinned with Bathsheba, he broke every one of the Ten Commandments. God is the victor of the story. Our sinfulness only serves to highlight God's grace. Now, I didn't mean we should go out and sin, but it, it does send us back to the cross over and over. Manoah and his wife, I love this. They didn't discuss if God should let them live. They weren't having a conversation about whether they deserve to live. They weren't defending their own character. Their reasoning was based on what God had already done and already said. The only peace that Manoah found in his debate with his wife over whether God was going to kill him or not was based on the character and actions of God already. Church, that's why we're studying these theophanies based on his character, based on his consistent plan, based on his consistent revelations of himself physically. Jesus wasn't an anomaly. Jesus was God's plan. From the very beginning, God was showing up. Boom, boom, boom. And he's showing up again. <laughs> and this time he's coming with a whole army, buddy. It's all coming to an end. We debate with each other way too much on why God should let us live, why God should answer our prayers. But in these conversations, we forget the most important key to petition, using God's past actions and statements in our prayers. God, you've done this. Show yourself faithful again. I will trust because I have trusted and I have seen your hand be faithful. Manoah and his wife were only calmed with the facts of the character of God. D.L. Moody once said, a rule I've had for years is to treat the Lord Jesus Christ as a personal friend. He is not a creed. He is not an empty doctrine, but it is he himself that we have. Amen. Luke 24, 39, in God's ultimate theophany after his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself Touch me and see. Revelation 22, verse 3. This is a picture of heaven. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants, that's us, will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. Now, I want to just pause here. Did you know what Samson's name means? It means sun. And some people think it was because his wife and them were still worshiping the Canaanite gods. The Canaanites, the Danites, they worshiped the sun god. Friend, we got a new sun coming. 
we ain't going to need that big, bright, shining heater in the sky anymore because we're going to have Jesus himself. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Now, whether those verses refer literally to a, a new earth or they're just symbolic of our, our life in heaven for eternity, what I do know for sure is that we will see God's face. Adam and Eve, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, uh, and Manoah, and his wife, we will all be like them. The only difference is it ain't going to be temporary. It ain't going to be like that buzzing little hummingbird at your feet or outside your window there for a second and gone. Gone to the next, gone to the next. A thousand flowers a day. It's going to be eternity. A thousand days and a thousand days and a thousand times a thousand days in the presence of God. Not for glimpses suspended in air, but for all eternity. We will see the face of God. We will be like these people in the Old Testament who saw God face to face. We will see him and we'll have new bodies and we will see God unveiled in our presence. And I do not know, I tremble to think what that's going to be like, but I have a feeling I'm going to hit the floor really fast and worship him forever. Would you stand? Father God, you have been showing up. You didn't just all of a sudden leave in the Garden of Eden and never speak to us again and come back with Jesus. You were showing up all throughout the Old Testament. And that's not even to mention the clouds and the fires and the burning bushes and the other ways that you spoke to man physically, but not in a physical appearance. Lord, we've just seen a glimpse, <laughs> these little highlights. But God, one day we just cannot imagine it. It's beyond my own comprehension this morning to think that I'm gonna see you face to face. And God, I don't want it to be a dreadful day. I want it to be a day filled with grace and worship where I bow before you and the, the works I've done in obedience to your word and the jewels that are in whatever crown you may give me are laid down at your feet gladly in no comparison to the real crown that is on your head. Father, I pray if there's someone here today that does not know you, they would call on the name of the Lord. You've been showing up and you're revealing yourself to them right now or they wouldn't even be in here. I don't know what Holy Spirit, I know the Holy Spirit that drew them to be here today has a plan and so I pray you would bring people to your throne. If there are people here today that don't know you, they'd call on the name of Jesus and be saved and come forward and make that public to the world. Be baptized. Father, I pray God, if there are others here that I just need to repent. Man, they have been away from you and they have seen Romans 5, 8. While they were yet sinners, you're, you still died for them and that's, that's, that light has come on today to help them know that they just need to repent again. Maybe they already know you. Maybe they've already uh, repented of their sins, called on the name of the Lord. Maybe they've even been baptized by immersion biblically. Maybe they just need to repent and call out to you for renewal of faith. And I pray for others that may need to join this church they don't want to sit around and do nothing. They want to serve you in these whatever last days that we're living in. We want to serve you, God, till the end. We want to finish strong. We want to run with our chest out as we break the ribbon of this life. And Father, we pray that you would help us do that. Send the people that you know need to serve at this church. Let them join and be part of this church family. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.